Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> This week, the Bookshelf Cinema is screening Brooklyn, The Danish Girl, Carol, Romeo and Juliet, Do the Right Thing, 45 Years and More. And at the E-Bar on Friday, February 12th, Jeremy Fisher and D.E. Varcher play a show together. The Bookshelf is an independently owned cultural hub located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph, Ontario. For more information about the Bookshelf's hours, listings, blogs, directions, and accessibility, please visit bookshelf.ca. I am the milkman of human kindness. I will leave an extra pint. Hey, this week's episode is brought to you by Pizza Trocadero. For my money, the best pizza you can eat in Guelph, Ontario. A proud, independent family business run by a punk rocker, Trocadero only uses a rich array of fresh ingredients cut by hand and homemade dough made daily all baked to perfection inside of a stone oven. It's gourmet panzerotti, calzones, wings, salads, garlic bread, breadsticks, and oh man, the pizza, the pizza. Personally, I like the gourmet domateo with goat cheese, artichoke, roasted red pepper, mushrooms. I sub out the turkey breast for eggplant, but that's just me. Wash the whole thing down with a brio. Man, I am getting hungry just talking about this. Call Pizza Trocadero at 519-829-2444. Visit them at 7 Municipal Street in Guelph and online at trocaderoguelph.ca. T-R-O-K-A-D-E-R-O-G-U-E-L-P-H dot C-A. That's Pizza Trocadero, a place of the good trade. The next edition of Long Winter takes place at the Great Hall in Toronto on Friday, February 19th. Featuring music by The Wooden Sky, For Esme, Pavilion, Datu, Pet Sun, Tokyo Air Show, Ice Cream, North Atlantic Drift, Poster Boy, Craig Dunsmere and Dun Dun Band, Doc Pickles and the Jim Story Juniors, Kyle Brender, Dan Fortank, Taylor Hoodlum Stevenson, Walrus, The Nick Frazier Sextet, and more. 
plus art, performance, dance, and readings by Lena Suksi, Dan Thornhill, and Marcel Ramagnano, Alexandra Gutnick, Nida Kwasowski, Slow Pitch Sound with Pursuit Grooves and Libido, Shannon Scanlon, Videomancy, Rave Tapes, Brad Casey, Stephen Thomas, Rachel Bell, Alexandra Naughton, Guillaume Morissette, Ashley Oppheim, Joni Murphy, Beach Sloth, Benjamin Camino, Nadia Fedotova, and Vanessa Barnier. Don't miss The Long Night with Vishkana Talk Show in the Black Box at 9 p.m. Featuring guest appearances by This Exists, Sam Sutherland, comedian Carol Zaccoli, and musician Stacy. Plus, The Long Winter Arcade featuring Chop Squares and Fempocalypse. This edition of Long Winter is an all-ages event that takes place on Friday, February 19th at 7 p.m. The Great Hall is not an accessible venue yet and is located at 1087 Queen Street West. For more information, please visit torontolongwinter.com. Creative Control with Beach Comic. You're listening to episode 237 of Creative Control. And my guest on this episode is the great Jeff Berner. Jeff Berner is a tremendously gifted songwriter and musician known for his outspoken work and 100% belief in the klezmer tradition. Based in Vancouver, he received a scholarship for being the top student in the University of British Columbia's creative writing program. And he's gone on to pen scripts for Sesame Street, make several acclaimed recordings... He wrote a book about how to be an accordion player, and he also wrote an acclaimed novel called Festival Man. His latest album is called We Are Going to Bremen to Be Musicians. It's out now via Oriente Music and Coax Records. And so, as you might imagine, Jeff is touring the world. He and I recently caught up with uh, one another in Guelph. He was in Guelph to play at uh, a festival, a Hillside Inside Festival, and we convened at CFRU's studios for a conversation which is normal enough on the show, but um, more special, maybe? It's, I'd say it's special. Jeff actually performed three songs from his new album, live. And you're going to hear them. You're going to hear those performances scattered throughout this episode of the show. It's pretty exciting, and they're great. The album's great. And you're, oh, you're also going to hear a song that actually is from the record. You know what I mean by that? It's the same. Like, the three songs, the live songs are on the record, but you're going to hear the live version. Then you're, at the end, I'm going to play a song that's actually on the uh, the new record. We are going to Bremen to be musicians. So that's that's the show, and it's a really fascinating, thoughtful conversation. As you, If you don't know Jeff, prepare to know him, because he's a very sharp guy, and we get into a lot of politics about Vancouver, the world. It's, I hope, I, I like stuff like this. You know, we didn't talk about his record that much. We just talked about perspectives on stuff so i like it i hope you will too this is myself and the great jeff burner That seems good. I think let's give this a shot. Okay, yeah. Okay, you ready? I think so. Okay.
We are on our way to Bremen That's where we're going to be musicians People say we're too used up to be allowed to live Still got a caravan of fucks to give So we're on our way We'll speak of death another day And have a sacred feast With what we stole from the thieves The donkey does our fearless leading Realism is something he's not needing People talk like they understand the world But they may find When he kicks them in the head It's liable to change their mind And we're on our way Speak of death another day And have a sacred feast Who we stole from the thieves The rooster says he can predict the future Actually, he's just a rooster If he could read his own entrails, he would see The comfort-giving chicken soup that is his destiny So we're on our way Speak of death another day And have a sacred feast With what we stole from the thieves The dog is full of moral confusion But the cat lives under no illusion The dog did his killing out of loyalty and for pay But the cat knows why he would have done it anyway So we're on our way We'll get there any day now That's where we shall become musicians.
They're going to build a statue of us in the square To commemorate the fact that we were never there Jeff, that was lovely. Very nice. That is the title track from your new album, isn't it? Yeah, it is. That sounded very lovely. How did that feel for you? I, that's a, I'm, I'm, I got a lot out of that song. <laughs> I get something out of playing that song. This is a, a record you made. From my understanding, the songs are like, like uh, little balms. They're like little ways of dealing with hardship and, and trying to find the joy in it. Is that yeah, it? trying to find reasons to find hope and fun in when things are difficult right and and th- that particular song is inspired by a folk tale yeah there's a folk tale of uh the musicians of bremen the grim brothers collected it i think it's pretty old right about animals that are old and their masters are going to kill them because they're old and they make the plan that they're going to run away and be professional musicians in Bremen. Now, bad the, plan. <laughs> <laughs> well, but why, at least it's a plan, why, right? Now, why is it a bad plan? That's not a ter- doesn't sound like a terrible plan. Why would you say it's a bad plan? Well, they're animals. Oh, right. You know, there's certain limitations when it comes to playing being, music. In, you know, there's employment barriers. Sure. To animals yeah. that uh, dwarf many of the barriers that even discriminated against human beings experience. Right. But you obviously... Especially in the field of musicianship. There's very few, like, if you look at, like, the orchestra of a symphony, you know, a symphony orchestra in the average North American city, the percentage of donkeys that are employed there is is shockingly small. It's low. Yeah, it's a, it's a small, little, small percentage, right? You know, and considering how many donkeys there are, it's kind of there's obviously something going on there. There's millions of donkeys, as far as we know. There's a systemic barrier to donkeys, chickens, cats, and dogs playing music for a living, right? Okay, that that you know we all face a lot of difficulties trying to make a living as musicians. But if I were say a chicken, that would at least double the difficulties I would be facing. Now, you you obviously, as a human man who is a musician, mm-hmm. you can relate to the plight of these animals on I, some level. Is that what you're saying? I relate to their aspiration to be professional musicians, and I relate to the general attitude of the people around them most likely have, where it's like, huh, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> How's that going? You know, if they had, pers- they, in fact, the things worked out for them because they they discovered a robber's uh, cabin, scared the robbers out, and lived off the avails of the theft for the rest of their lives. They didn't commit the theft, but they, you know, they took over the spoils of the so these animals did. That's so. a strange moral. But if they, yeah, it's it's a it's an odd story that preyed on my mind a lot during the years leading up to the recording of the album. Yeah. So would you say that I, my sense of when I get your dispatches, I'm, I, I signed up for your Jeff Burner 
newsletter thing. Hmm. I always get the impression that you are as surprised as anyone when you achieve a certain level of success, when your music or your work, you're, you're an author as well, when it resonates, there is a pride that you convey, but I think there's also some shock. Are you surprised at uh, the, the, uh, the level to which you have made a career for yourself as a musician? Yeah, I think anybody who has a realistic uh, assessment of the music business should always feel surprised if they continue to make a living in it. Right. <laughs> so, you know, people, and, and there's so many pressures to make people quit that, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's tough out there. So, you know, but for me, it, it's working, knock wood. So, yeah, it's shocking. Because uh, certainly uh, there are many people who are super talented who are not making a living making music. It's not, uh, oh, if you're good enough, then you, then you'll, yeah, that's going to work for you. Like, you know, there's that idea that just keep trying, and if you're good enough, you'll get to that point where you'll make a living right. on your dreams. It's just a lie. You can be awfully, awfully good and still not make enough money to support your family. I mean, part of it is seems to be luck and timing, but you also made an allusion there to external pressures that would f- force someone to quit, which sounds, the way you phrased it there, it sounds like a nefarious plot against artists and musicians. Is that something you believe in? Well, it's the worldhood of the world as such, like things, issues like patriarchy, uh, you know, where like women are wind up being forced to drop out of music, of like active touring, recording pattern music, often when they have children. Right. Unless they already have like a big financial success going on and they can hire the rock and roll nanny, the Canada Council won't let you budget for babysitting on your tour right. for childcare. Right. So that's a clear systemic discrimination against women who are left with most of the childcare uh, duties uh, in this enlightened day and age, you know, and uh, so... Now, by the way, just so I think sometimes I end up in these conversations with people about the old model of a, uh, let's say, a housewife uh, and mother. Um, it seems so archaic on some level but what and and so some people men in particular try to be progressive and they and and they do their best not to enable that's that stereotype to be perpetuated however in my experience as a father i have come to the terms with the fact that there are certain biological needs that my children need their mother for well that's what what it's uh, not simply a choice like uh, well that's the problem is like is is there's no effort by society to make any uh, allowances so that young mothers can go on tour. Right. There's like, that's their problem. Right. 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 So as soon, you know, and for the species to continue, people have to continue to have babies. But like, there's no acknowledgement that like, you know, the every festival should have a crèche, you know, for for small children, you know, yeah, women, are, you know, are encouraged to breastfeed, and so they they have to kind of have the kid around, right? Small, right? When they're small, and so, but there's not much 
done to make to accommodate that. So that would be one of the examples of of pressures that uh, there's just the fact that it doesn't pay much uh, to play music unless you know you you have a hit or whatever you know and uh, and uh, so it's hard that's all i'm saying yeah so, no i i hear and that. i have all the advantages and i still find it hard and uh so you know i yeah i'm surprised when it it's working i'm proud of the fact that i've built a career where i where i get to play music for a living but i'm i'm very aware of what what's been handed to me in a lot of ways is there a comparable arts infrastructure that you see as doing more positive work than what goes on in the music industry like when you when you speak of these issues you know this is a systemic to society like the oh music, society general music yeah. uh reflects the overall thing where it's like oh you want to pursue your dreams but you just had a kid and you're a woman well Good luck. <laughs> you're a new, How's that working out for you? You're a new father as well. I mean, there's no allowances for you per se. Well, I don't didn't have to breastfeed the, right. the baby or bring the... I can go on, you know, even when the baby was small, I could go on brief tours and the baby wouldn't starve to death. Right, of course. Know? Right, right, right. So right. when you say you have all the advantages, that's among yeah, them. Stuff yeah, stuff like that. Right. Lo lots of advantages beyond that but that's just one of the things you know so i'm just saying but anyway i don't want to go into all that all the time i just like yeah i'm surprised that it's working and it's tricky but i'm pretty <laughs> proud that i get to do it yeah absolutely are there so you've you've played us this one song are there other i mentioned earlier that the the, the record seems to be framed as this collection of of bombs, as I say, of of trying to deal with hardships and and grapple with them. What are some of the other things that you talk about on this record that that come to mind for you in terms of you know things you wanted to address? Well, um, there's like different strategies in the record. So uh, there's like there's different strategies in the record. Like like you know the ra every song has is trying to put forward maybe a different approach to a solution to okay spare yeah. yeah yeah okay you know so the um the dance and celebrate the misfortunes of people we hate is like offering up you know taking joy in the misfortune of bad people <laughs> as a way to like you know get through the day schadenfreude yeah, there's like nothing to be ashamed of. Now, who are there? Are there particular bad people that you were thinking of or mentioned in the in the in the piece? Yeah, I mean Margaret Thatcher is a person I think we can all agree did great harm to millions, and whose ideas spread so far and wide that those you know did great harm. So the fact that she died a horrible you know Alzheimer's related. Uh, death, where many of the honors she received, she was not even aware of. Right, is you know, uh, is nice. That's nice. Yeah. Now that that is not a particularly humanistic approach to the loss of uh, someone's life. Uh, how do you reconcile that being a the good person that you are? Uh, well, I just enjoy. It. I, I can feel whatever I want to feel <laughs> about it. Yes. I'm like. I don't want to. I don't feel guilty about feeling happy that Margaret Thatcher had a terrible way to die. Right, right. You don't wait. Say that again. You don't. 
I don't feel bad. That, you don't feel bad. That, like before I process it, I think, yeah, Margaret Thatcher or Reagan, you know, another figure who who lost his identity by inches. Yes. You know. Oddly, they had the exact same. They were demented. They were. Same affliction. The 80s was a period where the world, the Western world, was led and run by demented, vengeful old people. Right. Right. Have things changed much since then? Well, we've been implementing the ideas of demented, vengeful old white people. (laughs) For quite some time, sure, yeah, and and you know, demented, vengeful people who hated the poor and and you know, non-white people. Yes, I'd say right. They had did they and they punished. They had a desire to punish, and uh, th- their ideas, you know, were even endorsed by you know Thomas Mulcair. I and you know in the last. Uh, Who is someone that you, I mean, you wrote a a song encouraging people to vote. Yeah. And who did you encourage them? You actually were very pointed about who they should vote for. Yeah, I mean, the song was called, uh, I think that we should probably just vote NDP this time. That's the name of the song. That's the name of the song. Right. Well, actually, I called it Probably NDP. Right, that's right. So it was not like a full-throated, raging partisan endorsement. No. But it seemed like the the best shot at making people's lives in Canada better because they offered a national daycare program and they were advocating for raising the minimum wage. And uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. these things seemed like that would, you know, that would stem some suffering. Yes. But Canadians opted for the option that was more kind of Attractive, physically attractive, almost yes. Uh, but I offered them less. Right. So you, <laughs> so you write this song urging people to make a decision. You write it. The title itself has a certain resignation to it. Mm. Is is having a kind of resignation really good fodder for artistic passion? Because was obviously there was something satiric about the title, but the meaning behind the song was legit, right? I mean, this is something you believed in. Mm-hmm. But you're at a point as a satirist where I think a lot of satirists are throwing up their hands a little bit to be like, you know what? There's just so much. It's too much. Like, we got to do something. But at the end of the day, I don't even know what we should be doing anymore. Is that how you feel? Uh, I express that. I feel it at times. uh, And uh, I know that it's something satirists can can burn out because uh, they're so overwhelmed by irony and horror that they can no longer process it into humor. I mean, this is what uh, happened to Tom Lehrer, the great uh, satirist of the 60s. I think it happened to Jon Stewart as well. Yeah, I mean, The Daily Show, I honestly think that's what happened. You think that he he basically had irony burnout. He had like, I I can no longer, uh, I can no longer feel humorous about these outrageous things you know well i think that as a satirist on some level you are pointing out things that you want to sort of make fun of or highlight but uh, there's got to be a, a even a subconscious urge to affect change and, and and when you write a song like some of the songs you've written over your amazing trajectory thus far you're pointing things out and you, people in the audience will chuckle they'll buy your records and take them home and chuckle but you're I assume your hope is that they take something 
that you're provoking and think about it and maybe adjust their worldview a little to be like, oh, and I'm not trying to put you in a position where you are <laughs> are a leader per se, but I assume there must be part of you that hopes people take something insightful from your music and do something with it. Well, uh, that would be lovely, you know, and it does happen sometimes. So, and, and I, I know myself that uh, I shared my parents' center-right political worldview when I was 12, 13. Yeah. And then I heard Billy Bragg and I changed my mind and, about the world and I never went back. So I do believe in the transformative power of songwriting and political songwriting. And uh, I think when it hits the right person at the right time, the right way, it really does that. Yeah. Uh, so, but I don't imagine when I sit down to write a song that tries to laugh an idea out of the room that I'll laugh it out of the entire human race. Right. You know? No, no, <laughs> like but... In, like, yes, probably in 20 years, even though I might write a song saying, you know, Nazis are bad, there will still be Nazis right. 20 years sure. from now. And, and, and if I, I can't let that make me feel exhausted. You right. Know? This I want to circle back to what I was raising about John Stewart because I think on some level he... And The Daily Show, in his tenure at The Daily Show, I think he did affect a lot of change. I think he actually did affect... He laughed some ideas out of the room. He did. Although in America, the conversation has become more absurd, not less. And I think that in the end, towards the end of his time, there were certain monologues where he sa he'd literally say, I have nothing. Yeah. I can't even... When Charleston happened, he literally said, I, I can't make fun of this anymore. And I think this, he'd already announced he was leaving. But I think as a satirist, as someone who's making public, political, social commentary, I, I have to ask you, like at some point when you see that it's not being, it's not resonating, or maybe it's resonating, but it's not having the impact. Like, what does that do to you? I mean, what do you do with that when you're, you just keep plugging away, I assume. But Well, um, you know, Lehrer quit when he quit he started performing in the i think the late 50s and had his massive hits throughout the 60s uh with songs like uh who's next about nuclear proliferation national brotherhood week yeah yeah another, you know and they're very uh, poisoning pigeons in the park there's a lot of po political satire and he quit he said when when they gave Henry Kissinger, the Nobel Peace Prize. Right, right. <laughs> he says, okay, that's beyond satire. Right. I can't reach that. It's dead. Satire's dead for me, he said. So, Have you ever come close to that point yourself? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I consider myself a, a songwriter with the whole world and all of human experience as in my palette. So... Uh, I'm only moved to write a satirical political song certain, you know, days or whatever. So and if I can't find a way into an issue satirically, I don't, I'm not bound. I, I'm not a comedian and uh, I'm not, I don't feel a responsibility to make the audience laugh in my performances or on my records. So when it's funny, it's kind of, a bonus. I mean, people expect there to be some laughs at my shows, but uh, it's not a comedy show. 
So, you know, it's there's a lot. Of, some, might, some might be very surprised to hear you say that. I'm trying to bring people on a journey where I'm often setting them up to laugh so that I can, uh, you know, hit them with something. Yeah. So, and I don't... Soften them up. Yeah, so I, I don't... I'm not... Uh, trying to build to a crescendo of of laughter where people forget their troubles yeah. and I'm just like tr- trying to make you know goddamn art here man <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to ask you about your time in Vancouver uh, and your outspokenness about Vancouver uh, in a moment but I wondered Jeff mm. since we have you here in this rare circumstance if you might consider playing yet another new song. Sure. Uh, is there something that uh, comes to mind? Well, if you want to talk about Vancouver, I'll play my Condos song. This is a great song on the record. Mm. Uh, it's, 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 yeah, you go ahead. You can tell, tell, us, tell us a little bit about Condos. Yeah, on the record, I've got guest vocals by none other than Joey Shithead himself from DOA. Wow. So that's pretty exciting. Nice. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a... Uh, song that's a traditional song, a Jewish song that's hundreds of years old called Bulbes, which is a, means potatoes. And it's about, the original version of the song is just about the sickening monotony of having to eat potatoes every goddamn day. Right. Monday potatoes, Tuesday potatoes. Right, right. So this was a, natural to adopt to talk about the sickening monotony of Vancouver's skyline, which is just everything of any interest is just being mowed down for this this like urban monoculture of condos, you know. All right, well that that's a remarkable explanation. I hope people will check it out right now. Let's 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 hear Jeff. Okay, I'm gonna play it. I think you should just play this thing and let's see how it goes. My city has been in a housing crisis for 15 years or more. Middle class families can't afford to live here and there's a $10,000 fine for being poor. You could look it up. They said, they said, If we built all these condo towers, the market would pull down the rent. Now we got the most expensive city on the whole damn continent. Our mayor says he wants something called eco-density. And of course, it's a sin not to be green. But when Mayor Happy Planet says eco-density, what does he really mean? He means Sunday, condos, Monday, Condos, Tuesday and Wednesday, condos, Thursday and Friday, a few more condos, Saturday for a change, condos, 
What happened to a thousand culture buildings and counting? Well, they knocked them down to build some condos and the social housing on Little Mountain. Get rid of it, because we need more condos. The Ridge, Richards, the capital, that's a special kind of condos. Kind of condos that you call after the thing that you knocked down to make the condos. The Sunday condos, Monday condos, Tuesday and Wednesday condos, Thursday, Friday, few more condos, Saturday for a change, townhouse condominiums. What? is the plan for the Georgia Viaduct. Well, they're gonna knock it down and build some condos. Why is the city $400 million on the hook? They're fucked. They paid some guys to build Olympic condos. And what about the sacred burial site? Not as sacred as condos. So the Musqueam Nation actually put up a fight. And that's how you stop the condos. So what's gonna happen now, for God's sake? Are we just gonna let them build more condos? Or could there be a time when we finally put the brakes? Vancouver's mad sickness for Sunday. Condos? Monday, condos. Tuesday and Wednesday, condos. Thursday, Friday, few more condos. Saturday for a change. Market artist live work studios. Condos by Jeff Berner from his uh, new record, We Are Going to Bremen to Become Musicians. That was a live performance on this show. Jeff, that was really, really wonderful. Well, thanks. Tell me about your relationship with the city of Vancouver. How long have you been there? I was born there. My dad's from there. So I'm second generation. Not many of us who uh, can say that. It's mostly people from away, mostly people from Ontario. Uh, and the city has changed a great deal uh, since I was born there. And it was kind of a sleepy backwater until Expo 86, when the boosterism of real estate development really got rolling. At the same time, social housing investment kind of stopped. Right. So they stopped building housing for low-income people and they started building expensive market condominiums then. They were crap then and they've had to be, some of those buildings have had to be knocked down because they fell apart. And uh, always the message was, yes, we used to build social housing so that poor people would have somewhere to live and middle-class people would have somewhere to live in Vancouver. But if we just build lots and lots and lots of housing, then the market supply and demand will force the cost of 
living there down. Right. And they are still maintaining that, that the issue is an undersupply, mm. even now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Now, right. as they have houses being sold for more than French castles, and they still say, no, we don't need a massive program of rent control and social housing. We just need to keep doing what we're doing, but more. Why Why is this happening? Like, why is there not greater scrutiny? I mean, I hear... Well, there's just so much money to right, be made. Right. It's like the it's the it's it's like you read in the madness of crowds, you know, with the great tulip panic. In in, uh, in Holland, is like people just started saying, "Well, I'll buy that rare tulip bulb off you for five bucks." And he's like, "I only paid a buck for it, so the, right. and I'm going to turn around and sell some sucker for ten bucks." You know, and and soon you have these tulip bulbs that are worth you know five thousand guilders or whatever. Sure, yeah. and then eventually somebody goes, "Wait a minute, this." tulip bulb is i can't even eat it like what and then it all collapsed but at this point what's happening is because the world economy is so unstable and vancouver real estate has been steadily rising in value since the early 80s yeah it's like when people have more money than they can spend when people are wealthy they invest in real estate development funds that then go on and invest in Vancouver because, you know, and it's this cascade of money going in. People think it's like individual Chinese people, but it's not really. It's it's these large development and investment consortiums that are usually, you know, traded on the New York Stock Exchange right. and stuff like that. Right. And they're like, and it's this kind of orgy of, of trading and flipping that's completely untrammeled because... Vancouver has no uh, campaign spending limits for its municipal elections. Right. So the city is basically bought by guys like Bob Rennie, who who are the condo kings. They they contribute. They hold fundraising dinners that cost ten thousand dollars a plate. So your your city, from your perspective, is essentially unregulated. It's a company town. Yeah. Where where the the only real industry at this point is this crazy trade in in uh, condos. Right, and so you have a whole section of the citizenry that is displaced. Yeah, and have nowhere to go, and nowhere to live in the city. Where do they go? What happens to those people? Well, they're being shoved into Surrey. 
Surrey is the is uh, the the uh, municipality that's a ways outside of Vancouver. It's a it's a high immigrant, uh, low underserviced. Like the the hospitals there are are uh, crowded, and it's under policed. So there's crime problems there that. Uh, and uh, so that's where they're pushing people. Pushing people to Surrey. But they really are fine with wherever the poor want to go. They really don't give a damn. Where as long as they're go. not in Vancouver. They, well, they just don't care what happens to them. So they don't, they don't want to think about them too much. Because there was Expo 86, which, as you mentioned, was a, some kind of capitalist benchmark for your city. And then the Olympics happened. Which the Olympics were, just blew it out of the water. Yeah. What, what, what are the... Uh, can you describe when were the Olympics three four years 2010, ago? 2010 yeah. 2010 yeah so can you talk a little bit about the long-standing implications of, of the Olympic Games like are there things that you can point to where you're like look they they came in here because you were very outspoken you wrote a song about the Vancouver the what the 2010 Vancouver Olympic Games yeah which was again very the, funny thanks. very scary like it, it was it was maddening it was it was frustrating to to, to hear the issues that you brought up in that song. Do you, can you talk about how that decision to have the Olympic Games has impacted uh, the city, whether positive or negative? I mean, I guess people would argue for both. Can you think of anything? Well, I mean, it's, it's uh, they built this Olympic village uh, that was just an extension of their thinking of just building these kind of sterile towers full of expensive flats, you know, condos right, right. Uh, with, with, with generic chain retail on the bottom and not building new schools or anything like that. Just kind of assuming, just, you know, there's so many people I know who are artists and musicians in Vancouver who who duke it out there and try to make it go of it. And then once again, getting back to somebody gets pregnant. Yeah. They, you, you, they're living in a one-room apartment they can barely afford. Now... They're going to have. They're starting a family. That's when they have to get out. Right. You know. And so, the this model of development is what Vancouver's been running with, building these kind of places. So they build these places that are just not sustainable for anyone living in them. No. Particularly if they're a younger person. And nobody yeah. even knows how many of them are occupied. They're kind of just receptacles to hold money and grow it. We we pretty they the city refuses to measure. Yeah how many of them are even occupied. So you get a lot of retail just going under because they set up and they get going in a neighborhood where they think that there's going to be thousands of people living in these places, but there's nobody there. And they're, and the retail is paying huge rent, right. but there's actually nobody there walking around on the streets now you buying can't, stuff. You can't be the only one who has observed this. Are there, Everybody knows. It's th- no secret is what's there, going on. Is there a political wave to fight this? Is there is there any kind of legislation? Like, you're a citizen. You write your songs. You, people talk about it. Is there some kind of pushback to this? No, there isn't. Because, uh, unfortunately, uh, there's a lot of barriers to voting for poor people and right. renters. Sure. And uh, most of the people who vote in municipal elections are property owners who are watching their their investment, so to speak, their like home, you know, 
turn them into overnight millionaires. So the, very few of them are squawking about that. Are you a homeowner in Vancouver? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you've probably, when did you buy your home? Uh, some years ago. Some years ago. Yeah. So you've probably, your house is worth a lot of money. Yeah, probably. it's worth a lot of money. And... <laughs> <laughs> and yet, it doesn't matter because if you were to sell your house, now that it's worth a lot of money, where would I live? You can't afford the other. All the houses are worth a lot more. Yeah, money. I yeah. would. Uh, where would I live in my, my hometown? I mean, I I contemplate, I fantasize about like moving to Winnipeg or something like that, and you know, living like a king off the difference. Right. You know. Right. But it's my hometown. This is where this is my home. You seem to be an, an advocate for your city. You you are. You know, people mistake cynicism as uh, hatred, uh, and I find that very problematic. People I have a lot of hatred. No, I know, but I think that you, <laughs> when you express your, your thoughts about your city, I think it's coming from a place where you want to, again, see change happen. Um, you're highlighting it because you're... Uh, At this point, I'm bearing witness. Like, yeah, I don't yeah. really expect change until environmental catastrophe lowers the value of the property, which I think is coming. We had, like, four days of red gray haze hanging over the entire city right. this summer because of the massive you know hundreds of forest fires caused by climate change and the smoke from all these these trees burning just blew in and choked the city really? people huh. you know couldn't let their babies outside and stuff like that and old people were dying and like and so that's going to have an effect over time. Right. Okay. And then once the sea levels rise, and because everything is built so poorly in Vancouver. Right. It's built quickly and poorly. And there's really no efforts being made to shore up infrastructure for the coming. Right. The flood. developers are coming in and out. They're just coming in, putting up shoddy yeah. stuff and leaving. Yeah. And the city talks a good game about making a plan, but they actually haven't started building anything and there doesn't seem by, by what you're reckoning there's no pressure for them to do that no no they have no pressure to do anything except rezone light industrial land for more residential right. development right that's what they do at vancouver city hall that's their job <clears throat> that's uh, again that sounds bleak and terrible but um i mean but there's see like it's you know the thing is like i find something exhilarating about saying the truth out loud you know yeah and you're coming to you're you tour europe you're touring uh, across canada telling people about what's happening in vancouver and on some level there are things I don't hear. Like, there's things in your songs that I just don't hear as someone who reads the news or whatever. Well, you know, this is in the in the 20s, 30s, 40s, you know, the newspapers weren't reporting what was really going on because they were owned by the bosses. They're in people, cahoots, yeah, yeah. And people like Woody Guthrie were telling people the real news, you know. And that's what we're getting back to now. We're yeah. getting back to the time when... You, the newspapers are becoming useless or shutting down. Or being they, shut down, yeah. This week, I was in the last issue of the paper here. The Guelph Mercury. Yeah. Yeah. I was in the final I issue didn't realize that. I didn't realize that. I mean, I would really issue a challenge to uh, artists and songwriters out there to realize that you, you are the new newspapers because the newspapers are gone. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you see the way, um, you know... The, the employees of Canada's national newspapers are generally left-leaning, cool people. And then management are are basically, you know, like the Koch brothers type people. Businessmen. Yeah. They're, they're, well, they're... Shady businessmen. They're yeah. plutocrats. Yeah, right. Right? And they, and you saw that in the last federal election where everyone can see 
that we're dealing with a corrupt, anti-democratic, racist government, like openly advocating racism. Yeah. And every newspaper in the country, you know, in these massive chains was like, we've got to give them another chance because we can't take a risk with the economy. Right. Nobody on staff believed that. None of the photographers, the few that are like... Well, I mean, this, the, like, you when know. that happened in this country, some of the staff objected to the editorial boards. And they got their asses handed to them, yeah. you know, last week when 90 of them were cut That's from right. the thing, you know. So yeah. it's, it's basically getting... We have to look to the solutions. When the time of the robber barons happened in the, in the late 19th century to the early 20th century people found ways to push back and we have to look to the, that era of the 20s and 30s to see what we have to do we're going to have to do again how close know. are we to fascism well i mean it's really how you define that term you know well like there seems a, to be a suppression of information there seems to be a, that's what you're talking about you're talking about a, a potentially a, a, a government oriented suppression of information there seems to be a displacement of people uh in different cities we've talked about a lot of things here and all i can think about is the totalitarian nature of it and, and whether we're and again I'm, I'm a dummy so i'm not trying to come off highfalutin here but i do think that we're treading into that territory and i think you've been among the people that's been quite outspoken about that about fighting back well it's complicated to just to discuss that because if you're First Nations you've been living under a fascist yes. government your whole life right right so like are, are we drifting into fascism for middle class white people too like I guess that's the question to ask you know? right like you know black men in Toronto are living under have been living under fascism for you know decades well I would say you know? I mean of late I would argue that uh, most non-white people have had some brushes with that um, but the, the, where the police can do whatever they want with you and then decide what story they're going to tell about yeah. it later yeah exactly I want to ask you because we've talked a little bit about Vancouver I want to ask you about your your upbringing there and, and how you feel that might have shaped your aesthetic as, as an artist because you are I think of you as someone who comes from punk I think of someone uh, but clearly you are working in a, a folk realm as well. Can you talk a little bit about what shaped you in Vancouver into this current manifestation of ideas and, and thoughts? Uh, sure. You know, uh, I grew up in uh, on the west side of Caris, you know, in a neighborhood called Carisdale that was a middle-class neighborhood in the 70s and became an upper-middle-class neighborhood and is now a top out of sight neighborhood where this where the you know houses the house i grew up in is worth four million dollars oh my god yeah so it's i mean we don't own it but <laughs> but uh the uh and uh so uh i i went i had a jewish religious education in addition to going to regular school i went after school and on weekends to hebrew school right so we learned a lot about uh, Jewish history. There was a lot of focus on the Holocaust and uh, Zionism as a response to the Holocaust. Is like a never will we're going to have our own 
army so that yeah can't round us up again if we have, we'll always have somewhere to go and that sort of thing but like but the you know the education about the holocaust was definitely about the way that a modern democratic country uh quickly uh compromised all of its institutions you know and uh became this monstrous instrument of genocide you know uh so we were sort of trained to keep an eye out for that but i don't think that they really connected the dots to the kind of things that canadians have been doing to first nations people right uh you know uh and but i started to sort of see that a little bit and uh and then uh um the uh, so there was some Jew, there was a lot of Jewish uh, religious music and Israeli folk songs that were sometimes adaptations of uh, klezmer stuff, and then there was some klezmer as well at weddings and and things like that. And uh, then I, like I said before, I got into punk through uh, political punk folk of Billy Bragg. Right. And all, and the first time I saw DOA was they were playing acoustic at the folk festival. So I could hear all the words. Right. And so there was this uh convincing idea that um you know that justice was not being served and that there was there was an increasing inequality and uh structural you know, racism and, and patriarchy. These are all things that, ideas that people were talking about at the Vancouver Folk Festival yeah. in the mid-'80s. And that's kind of where I got my political uh, education and through the records that I got at the there. You know, the Vancouver Folk Festival was founded as a recruiting tool for the hard left in Vancouver. I mean, Vancouver, like we've talked about Vancouver and its government structures and how insidious they can be, but I think of Vancouver as an activist town. Yeah, it's funny the way the activists have been really largely neutralized or co-opted in Vancouver. That, that they haven't, we haven't really been able to have an effect on city policy, partly because the the mayor has is a is a brilliant public relations guy. Yeah. He's able to convey a, a sense of greenness and a sense of like he came into office promising to eliminate homelessness by twenty fifteen. People were like, Wow. Right. Yeah. So it's doubled. By the time by twenty fifteen came around, homelessness had doubled. He did things like he the city redefined affordable housing in its like in in its legislation and its rule book they had defined it as housing under a certain price yeah but they redefined it to be housing that has people in it so somebody must have been able to afford it <laughs> right yeah. so he so it's a sleight of hand that we're now seeing federally you know yeah, yeah. very i think that Justin Trudeau's style is very similar to uh, the mayor of Vancouver's he's now promising to make Vancouver the greenest city in the world by 2020 and uh, we have to if you want to put 
uh, solar panels on your house, it'll cost you three times what it cost in Toronto to do it. And uh, most of that is uh, city permit costs. Do you get a tax break? Hell no. Oh, my God. Okay. We have had uh, a very interesting and heavy conversation. Sorry, man. No, yeah. no. This was my deal. I, I led you down this path. But I was, I was starting to talk about, like, punk and stuff like that, and, and I just, you know... Oh, never mind. Go ahead. No, all I was going to say is that I think that for people who have not heard you before, I think we've gotten uh, one aspect of your personality and your interest, but you're also a, a romantic, I think. You're also someone who believes in the power of love. There are love songs on your record. Yeah. I wondered if we might uh, hear one such song. Okay. Would you want to play one for us? Yeah, I'd like to do that. Okay, just so we can give people the full range of your... You know, power. Oh, thanks. You've got a lot of power, Jeff. Thanks a lot. And I think, I think, uh, is there a song from the record that uh, you want to play? Yeah, I got a song called "I Don't Feel So Mad at God When I See You in Your Summer Dress." Let's hear that. Sucker who believes But still I Shake my fist at the sky Why couldn't the Lord Have worked a little bit harder Made me a little bit smarter Made just a little less murder But I don't feel so mad at God When I see you in your summer dress Not so mad at God When I see you in your summer dress Summer dress has been suspended in the winter closet, but now that's ended. Now you're swinging and it is clinging. Oh God damn it, just fits you perfect. I don't feel so mad at God when I see you in your summer dress. Not so mad at God when I see you in your summer dress. in a cake ought to be with you when your hair was black you get silly a jealous heart attack when your hair was brown you turn me into slightly less of a clown when your hair was blonde you probably think i'm gonna go on and on like the silver in the gold some days i'm even almost at peace with the old bastard i don't feel so mad at god when i see you in your summer dress not so mad at god when i see you in your summer dress i don't feel so Wow, Jeff, that was wonderful. I don't 
feel so mad at God when I see you in your summer dress. Did I get that right? Yeah. That's a that is a, a, a very sweet and biting sentiment. Thanks. Because you got to throw in that you're mad at God. You can't just be like, "You look great," but I'm still mad at God. You gotta you gotta say both, right? Well, <laughs> I like mixed. I like art that can make you feel more than one thing at sure. the same time. Yes, yes, you do. I'm aware of that. Now, the last time you were on this show, uh, we talked uh, pretty extensively about your your novel, Festival Man, which I really enjoyed. Thanks. And Thanks for talking it up on the national radio. That's right. I was also on CBC radio really talking about it. I really appreciate that. No, well, that's, that's my pleasure. Now, at this point, I'd just like to ask you what's next. I don't mean to frame it as to suggest that I think you're working on another novel, but maybe you are. I never know what you're up to. What is next for Jeff Burner? I'm working on another novel. <laughs> <laughs> I, I signed the deal. Nice. So I've got another novel that I hope will be done pretty soon. I got you know I got all the words. I just have to figure out what order they all go in and which you're, ones have to be cut and stuff. Like you're that. editing. Yeah. Okay. And is it a similar? I know you probably don't want to say too much about it until it's really ready to go. But is it a, another music thing? Yeah. It has a lot of the same characters in it and. Uh, this time, last time it was a, a character, an unreliable guy telling you why he wasn't as bad as everybody says. And this time it's going to be a whole bunch of people telling you about one character. Not the guy from from the last book. But the a, last a guy was like a music impresario. He thought he was a big deal and he swindled people and he was a weird, shady music industry guy. Yeah. So this will be a, a musician and uh, other people will be talking about her uh, from many perspectives. She's a she's a chimeric figure. She's a changeable person. So you'll wonder if you're still reading about the same person. Now, the last book, Festival Man, was really steeped in reality. It was uh, like some of the characters were representations of actual people and artists that we now you know we love some of them we, some of them one of them let's just say has become more prominent than she's ever been and she's a friend of yours she's not depicted in a negative light you'll never get me to cop to that okay that's it's, fair it's all fiction that's fair that's nobody fair. will believe me when i'm lying right in that book all i'm wondering is for your next book is it also steeped in real people well since the last one was just a packet of lies and <laughs> was based on nobody that's you know in the the next book will be based on that to the same extent okay will also be a tissue sure. of lies yeah and and fictions and made up people and things i appreciate that you are a, a journalistic songwriter and that yeah, every once in a while you're a tabloid journalistic songwriter i appreciate that sure it's good it's good to shine a light on these things what else what else is going on you got tours and stuff i assume uh yeah, I'm gonna, I'm going uh, to play Alberta soon, and then I'm gonna go tour Scandinavia with the band. So that'll be good. We you, go there a lot. You're a star in Europe, aren't you? Uh, I'm just doing pretty good. You know, I do a little bit better in Europe than I do in Canada, and I do okay in Canada. Yeah, yeah. Remember, yeah. remember when we ran into each other in Oslo, Norway? Yeah, and I was like, see. 
That's you, right. They really do come to the show. <laughs> you, that's right. That's right. I wasn't <laughs> making it up. Finally, se- a witness. You seem delighted enough to see me as a friend, but you also seem more so that there's a Canadian who Finally actually a witness. witness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like that was funny. I could see, you know, when I, you'd be talking to the Lethbridge, you know, Herald or whatever. Yeah. You, or I'd be like, yeah, hundreds of people come out to my shows <laughs> in Oslo, you know, and they're like. Yeah, to hear a guy, you know, whining at them on the right. accordion. Right. Sure, sure, buddy. right, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, you're big in Belgium. I yeah. bet. <laughs> You know, I so. should actually find I wrote a giant like travelogue of my trip and talked about you a lot and uh, maybe I'll dig that up and post it somewhere. I read it. Yeah, it was really it was really funny. Who you know who else I ran into on that trip and and talked to was Jello Biafra. Oh, I've never met him. I know lots of people who know him well, and I'd I'd love to, you know, I don't know if he drinks or whatever, but I'd love to hang out with that guy and yeah. see what he has to say. Yeah, we hung out a little bit in Oslo on that same trip, and then I interviewed him on the train to the airport. Cause, uh, it was good to go on the train to the airport. Yeah, right? it was interesting. Good for him. Yeah, it was, well, I mean, we talked, to, we'd, I said I'd really like to chat with you, and he said, well, I only really have time tomorrow. Uh, maybe we can, I said, he's like, I'm leaving on the plane, and I said, oh, I think we're on the same shuttle, and so we, anyway. That's great. It was a lovely, a lovely experience I had. Anyway, enough about me in Oslo and you and me in Oslo. Jeff, uh, it's a it's a great pleasure as always to speak with you. I hope uh, you got something out of this. Yeah, I did. I, I love chatting with you. We we've been having this conversation since about two thousand and two or yeah, something, something like, like that. Yeah, something like that. That's true. We've been talking a long time, and I I like that we every time it goes in different directions. And we're still we still haven't quit. <laughs> Both of us are doing the talking we're about the same the thing. thing. Yeah, we're doing the you know so hardships be damned. All you young people out there, just keep persevering. <laughs> I think that's endeavor fair. to persevere. Now, where can people learn your album? Is out on uh, at least two labels, right? Well, in the worldwide Europey thing, it's uh, they're called Orienta Music, and they're based in Berlin. Right. And then in Canada, uh, it's uh, Coax, which is Ray Spoon's label. Yeah. Right? They've started a label, and uh, they're putting out records. And uh, mine, uh, my, I'm on Coax. So just to be clear, it's C O A X, not K O C H apostrophe S. No, yeah, Ray has very little association with the Koch brothers. Right, I just want to clarify that for people. <laughs> and we didn't even really talk about this because we talked about so many other things, but this is another collaboration with So Called. Yeah, Josh Dolgan, a.k.a. So Called, produced and arranged the stuff, and uh, he remains a genius. He knows more about the studio than anybody I know, and he knows more about klezmer music than anybody I know, so it's kind of the ideal producer i don't know what i'm going to do if i if i make another record uh what would i do if i couldn't get him yeah i don't know what my plan would be he's a he is a genius a cuckoo, probably. i like that this is a thing okay this is a, a constant collaboration it seems there's a david bowie song on here i just noticed yeah there's a david bowie cover called ich tomit erein in der selber machine which means i'm always crashing in the same car right there you go. What it's a very pres- Jewish song. What <laughs> you've done a translation of a David Bowie song. Yeah, translated into Yiddish and made it into a Klezmer song. But this was But I think the Klezmer song, the always crashing in the same car, 
had a klezmer song inside it. Yes, that's right. The, like like the stone that has the sculpture in it. Right. And we just set it free. Now it's interesting that your 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 record came out in October 2015, and we are still processing the 2016 death of David Bowie. So it's interesting that obviously he's an artist who means something to you. Yeah, I was just I was just I had insider information that he was dying, and I made the record. Is this true? Thinking to cash in on uh, on. His I don't demise. believe that that is true. But did you? Not uh, that many people knew, right. but I actually. <laughs> A friend of a friend knew the oncologist, and oh. he was like, "Oh, he's gonna be big in 20." Right, you're another opportunistic gonna, move by yeah, Jeff Burner. Yeah, yeah, I was like, yeah. "This is gonna put me over the top." <laughs> <laughs> well, but, it's a wonderful record. We are going to Bremen to be musicians. Jeff, is there a song from the album? You've been very kind. Thank you. I've I've not had the experience of having someone play so many songs on my show, so thank you for that. And uh, but I think we should go to a song that represents the record and is actually from the record. Is there something we can play? Let's play the Bowie cover. Yeah, you know, it's in because that's another aspect of my artistic progression is in a strange way as I've also become more political and more offensive. I've also become more traditional. Right. And so this this Yiddish singing in Yiddish is something I'm doing more and more of, which I really enjoy. And uh, uh, to the exercise of taking a post-punk experimental pop song and making it into a klezmer song yeah. is a way to learn the architecture of klezmer you know because sure. you're yeah. like okay yeah if we're going to turn this airplane into a, a tank what what's going to be involved we here? have to figure it out you yeah. know what the, what makes a tank a tank or what, not that Klezmer is a tank compared to, but anyway, that so, uh, you know, I'm very happy with the way the Bowie cover turned out. So let's play that. Okay, and can you? I don't want to mangle this. Can you tell people again what it's called? Ich tomit arein in der selber Maschine. That was you did it well. Ich. Yeah, I can't. I don't know if Neither. I. That, Glottal <laughs> fricative. I have a bit of a ich. cold. I could probably pull that off actually. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff Burner. You're an officer and a gentleman. Thank you for being on this show Thanks, again. Fish. Wenn ich kenn, wenn nur möglich, los ich sich auf den Weg. Die Kilometer und die rote Licht, ständig gucke dich links und rechts. Ich kann so mit
There you go. Brand new music by Jeff Berner from the uh, record We Are Going to Bremen to Be Musicians. That was a Yiddish rendition of David Bowie's Always Crashing in the Same Car from David Bowie's record Low. That the, Yiddish, uh, the Yiddish translation is entitled Ich krak tomid arein in der zeber machen. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. I probably screwed it up a little bit, but... Uh, what are you going to do? I did my best. That was my cover of someone pronouncing that song correctly. It's not always going to be the same thing. Thanks again to Jeff for being on the show. Jeff uh, is uh, on tour pretty much... Well, when is he? His next shows are the 19th and 20th in Vancouver at Atlanta Luz, And then he's off to Europe, as he mentioned. He's off to, uh, oddly enough, his Scandinavian tour. Yeah, it kicks off in Oslo. On the 26th of February JeffBurner.com For more information about Jeff And uh, he's a good man He's a smart man I wish him well all the time It's always nice to talk to him Coming up on this show in the next little while I'm still uh, chipping away at this tortoise documentary About the new record So that'll be out soon And then otherwise, I don't know There'll be a long night with Vishkana episode coming up Probably lots of other stuff I'm heading out to different places in the next few months So maybe I'll grab some content for you while I'm there If you want to keep up with this show Creative Control with Vishkana is available on iTunes Audioboom.com Vishkana.com And if you want to make a flexible monthly donation To the show Go to Patreon.com Also Creative Control with Vishkana is on Facebook On Twitter At Vishcreative With a K I'm on Twitter At Vishkana And a version of this show Airs every Wednesday at noon Eastern Standard Time on CFRU 93.3 FM in the Waterloo region. And you can listen from anywhere in the world via CFRU.ca. That's all for me for now. I will talk to you very soon. Okay. Take care. Bye. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.